The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by WinBet. I'm your host, James Anderson. And for those of you who are into uh, dynasty leagues, first year player draft, stuff like that, there's a lot of great content that I just put up on the site yesterday that you can check out. Uh, but today's episode is going to be the only position focused episode I'm going to do this off season. And I'm doing it because it's the one position that I never feel like I'm fully uh, 100% behind like what I'm doing in drafts with regards to it. And so I just think it's the most interesting one to talk about because I think a lot of us have a really good sense of how to attack the other positions, but this is the one that gives me the most trouble. And so I'm having uh, Toby Gavin, Batflip Bat Crazy on. I'm having Dave McDonald uh, from High Stakes Heat on. And I'm having those guys on because I thought of them when I thought of the catcher position uh, for varying reasons. Um, with Dave, it was because he uh, was ranting about um, – how people were drafting catcher on an episode uh, about a month ago. And I, I thought that was pretty funny. And I thought that, uh, and he's always kind of been a guy who's really dug into playing time in terms of depth charts and how much guys are going to play on their teams. And then with Toby, you know, Toby is known for the pocket aces strategy. I think of Toby uh, for the guy who has always taken a catcher as his first hitter. Like to me, that's kind of the more, unique thing about toby's game and so i thought that he'd be a great person to have on but uh first of all how you guys doing Do, doing well yeah thanks so much for having us on james really appreciate it yeah doing great uh super flattering that you chose us to uh go over this with it i i love that uh you know you're just trying to better your your own game uh try to pick some brains uh on on the subject matter and i think uh well at least with toby i think you got a you got a great person to pick the brain of here <laughs> well, <laughs> oh yeah and I, I want to make sure, James, you know, if we're going to be in the same main event together or something like that, we're just <laughs> providing this information to you to help you with your catchers. I mean, I, I hope we're not in the same main event. Yeah. Um, are you, but, uh, are you, kidding, are you coming to Vegas this year? Yeah, this is going to be my first year in Vegas for the, uh, the big uh, draft weekend at the end of oh, March. Oh shit. Okay. Well now I, oh. now I kind of want to back out of this. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll be there too, all three of us. So we'll we'll have a unified oh, man. front when it comes to how we're going to attack the catcher position. It'll be fantastic. Well, now now I want all three of us to be in the same draft and be oh, drafting God. like right next to each other in the middle, oh, no. of, like seven, eight, nine, or something like that, and then we will all know exactly <laughs> what the other one's going to be doing. Toby and I already I see catcher. plenty of each other in leagues. I'm sure we're going to be in a super again this this year. So oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just go JT Real Muto first round then, just to make Jacob, sure I'll right. be I'll be picking seven and I'll go JT Real. Muto. <laughs> Good yeah. old Jacob Tyler, got to get you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we, so what we're basically going to do is we're going to go uh, depth chart by depth chart, but in order of ADP. So we're going to start with the Royals, then to the Phillies, and the Dodgers, and so on. Uh, but first, I just kind of wanted to like just so that the listeners kind of have a sense of your guys's approach and maybe biases in terms of this position. Uh, how do you each approach catcher in a 15 team two catcher leagues? And I'll start with you, Toby. Yeah, so generally generally speaking, I think obviously you want to take it year to year and take a look at the player pool, take a take a look at where you think there are some differences between, you know, average draft position and what the actual value or perceived value or projection of a player might be. Um in this case in in this particular year like in heading into 2022, I actually feel like there are a lot of there's a lot of value at the catcher position um, more generally. I think it's it's true at the top end. It's true in the middle. And I think there's some late ra- late round targets I'm sure we'll get to as well, where, um, you know, where, where you have some pretty valuable players. Generally, I do, as you mentioned, like to get uh, a top a top end catcher, like really any of the first probably six or so. Um, I do love JT Realmuto just because I think from a roster construction perspective, like adding the stolen bases, and just the kind of five category contributions from the catcher position opens up some flexibility with the rest of your roster. Obviously with Sal Perez this year, he's just an incredible hitter and the plate appearances are, are really key. And I think that's one thing that, um, that I think is really important to focus in on is just the plate appearances, especially when you look at projections and you look at, you know, what the value of a player might be thinking about like the, NLDH and how that's going to impact uh, better hitting catchers, getting more plate appearances um, and just generally like the plate appearance um, situation with catchers. So I generally like to target at least one at the top. If not, I sometimes uh, do two um, depending on how it falls in a draft or, or what I'm trying with my build. And I just think that there's a lot of value that, that that provides for you when you're getting a contribution from catcher, you have players who are going to wait until the very end to get those two back end catchers. You know, the, the difference between that projection versus say, you know, getting a, a third round outfielder and being able to cobble together a group of outfielders towards the back end of the draft is a little bit of a value add. So that's why I tend to target, you know, at least one really good catcher at the beginning of the draft. Um, if not my first my first hitter, which I've done in the past, I'm not sure if I'd do it this year necessarily, just because the way speed is is playing out. But that's generally how I'm planning to target it. And there's a really nice group towards the back end of the draft that I like a lot this year as well. Dave, how about you? Yeah. Um, well, Toby took a lot of what I was going to say, so uh, I, I guess I'll just kind of add that I'm generally. I'm looking for guys who are going to be able to play close to every day. And, and like Toby said, with the DH and the NL this year, 
you're opening up a lot more opportunities for that. But you also got to be careful. There's going to be some situations where people are going to assume there's a, a big uptick in at-bats. And I would go back and look at 2020, see how they handled – because a lot of these guys are still on the same team – see how they handled the DH, see if they played their catcher there. Like we saw the Dodgers play Will Smith at, catch, or at DH a, a good amount in 2020. Um, and so that's one reason that I really like him for 2022 – uh, he was he was good again last year, but he didn't have the playing time last year. But now I think he could. But I think there's other guys who maybe we we are pushing up uh, for at bats. But I think there's other guys there who are going to see most of those DH at bats that I'm not uh, pushing them up quite as much. Um, and then from a positional standpoint, the difference between catchers is huge. Like, I mean, you know, outfielders that you're playing. Some are going to be better than others, but from uh, they're probably mostly going to be most of your guys that you have on your team are going to be playing every day. With catchers, you've got guys who are playing only a couple times a week. So if you've got a guy playing six or seven times a week compared to other people who have guys playing two to three times a week, it's a huge difference. Um, now, granted, a lot of times you don't see huge offensive outputs from catchers, like we saw out of Sal Perez last year or Jacob Tyler Real Muto in the past. Um, but, you know, you if you can find those guys who you think could have a huge year, the difference is magnified so much at the catcher position compared to others. And that's why I want to get at least one guy early, like Toby said. And I, I do think that there's some, you know, it, it's like if, if another of the top guys fall, I'll take two top catchers. But I probably want to get two guys that I think have a chance to play close to every day at bats. And so that's really what I'm looking for. And if there's if there's a good later value, then I'll probably look at that too. But you also have to realize if you only have like one target like that late and if you miss on him, I mean, you have to take him early. You have to jump him if you have like one guy that you're looking at. Because the other thing about having getting a catcher early is you can then afford to be flexible. You can take your second catcher kind of when it falls in the right place to you. You don't have to force two catchers in. Like if I'm, if I'm drafting and the top 12 catchers are off the board and I have to force two catchers in there that I like, it gets really stressful and, and you'll you'll likely be passing on other values in the draft to do that. So having that one early catcher kind of leaves you open, like Toby was saying, that flexibility of your roster construction, which I, I really like. Is there anything either of you want to add if we or if we change the focus to a 12 team two catcher league or even a one catcher league? Yeah, I would actually say I think there's a um there's an idea that as you go from 15 to 12 in a two catcher league, that, that the top end catchers are less valuable, that it makes sense to wait a little bit longer. And even when you move from a two catcher league to a one catcher league, that it also makes sense. And actually, like I, I was just verifying this before we hopped on the pod. If you plug in the projections into the auction calculator on fan graphs, you actually get more value out of top end catchers in a two catcher 12 team league and in one catcher leagues um, when you go down from the 15 to the 12 level. And that's just because in those leagues, there's it's a lot more difficult to find differences in the player pool, right? The top end always has higher values because there is a larger difference between them and the replacement value. And it's similar with catchers where if you're looking to get an edge, if you're looking to find a true difference between the skill level, plate appearances, and overall contribution of a catcher, actually targeting those top end catchers in a smaller league makes a lot of sense. So that's one thing that I think people are kind of, oh, it's a, it's a one catcher league or it's a shallower league so I can wait longer for the catcher. 
And yeah, like the catcher that you draft is going to be better because the replacement level catcher is better in a 12 than in a 15. But if you target those top end catchers, they actually are worth more in those shallower leagues because they can differentiate themselves. Yeah. And, you know, the replacement value of what you're getting is not going to be good in, in those two catcher 12 team leagues. It's not like, you know, it'll be better than the 15 team leagues, but it's not going to be great. Like you're not going to have any really good options out there. So absolutely agree with everything Toby just said. Um, I'll add that another thing is if you're playing in a daily league, like say Yahoo, where it's a one catcher league, you absolutely want that guy who's going to be in there every day. Like I was making sure to get Sal Perez in all my Yahoo leagues because like if you have to waste a roster spot on a backup catcher, it's such a waste. Like you just want that guy who's going to be playing every day. And like he said, you know, that that difference uh, compared to everybody else's catcher is going to be huge. So, yeah, they're they're Every bit is important uh, in those uh, other types of leagues as well. Yeah, I think that all checks out. And uh, like Toby was referencing, I, I would recommend people just you check out that auction calculator at fan at fan graphs um i don't know i don't know if you want to like live by it um through and through and take sal perez at the end of the first round but uh (laughs) it'll give you like a sense of just you know if these guys hit their projections just how um big of a gap there is at the top and to the middle and to the bottom um okay let's start things off with the kansas city royals uh dave i'm gonna ask you first about Sal Perez because um I mean I, I had some Sal Perez shares last year but I know that you were uh very vocal about going after him um and that was that was a great call uh <laughs> now you know you've got him coming off of that season where he was playing a ton um and he's going what like four rounds higher than he was last year five rounds higher something like that um yeah. and are you willing to pay that price, which right now is middle of the third round, uh, early middle of the third round in a 15 team league. And we're using ADP from 15 team draft champions, um, from January 1st until now. And over that, that span of time, his ADP is 40th. Uh, so are you willing to pay that price? Like if he just, if he's just going at ADP, are you in on sell press? Yeah, uh, the one of the big reasons I was in on him last year is because it he was massively underpriced. Like he was going around six through eight, and for a guy who's an everyday catcher, like literally they do not take him out of the lineup. I mean, whether it's a catcher or DH, he's playing every day, uh, and that's just so rare. And you know, we know that he hits the crap out of the ball, so it's just a, you know, he he's not a guy who I was concerned about any kind of injury risk with, especially not at that point in the draft you know, after the first few rounds, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really difficult to take for me. And I, and I'm, I'm saying you absolutely can win. And I know Toby does by, by building around a, an early catcher in the first four rounds or so for me, I usually focus more on getting my steals, getting a closer, getting uh, an ACE. And um, you know, it's, there's a possibility that I could end up taking a guy like Sal Perez or, or JT Realmuto, but it's tough. Um, I'm generally trying to find a guy who I think can kind of be the next sell Perez this year, uh, rather than taking him at his peak value, because I mean, he, he could easily be worth it. I don't think he's going to bust. Um, I do think there's going to be some regression there. Uh, I just, I hate taking guys coming off of monster years, but if you're going to do it, the catcher is an okay place to do it because there's, there's still going to be that far ahead of, of like 95% of the catchers out there. So, 
Um, I don't begrudge anyone who wants to do that. I personally will probably be looking to take a guy who I think can come close to matching his at bat to put out and just get someone after the first four rounds or so. If, if, if someone's there that I really like in the fifth, I'm willing to take them there, but first four is tough for me. Toby, what about you? Yeah, I'd totally be down to draft him there. Um, and, and I think like when I look at my spreadsheet, for instance, I plug in the projection um, that steamer has right now for Sal Perez. I get him as the 12th most valuable player, as you mentioned, James, like towards the back end of the first round. And he's going right now, like you mentioned, between pick 35, pick 40, something like that. And so, you know, I think what what I, I definitely agree with Dave, though, I think there's so many competing interests now, like with speed getting pushed up, you know, with starting pitching with there's so much closer uncertainty, especially in draft champions. I think a little bit of that will change. I think the elite closers will stay the elite closers and way up there. And, but as we get more certainty about jobs, that'll change. And maybe that opens up a little bit more of an opportunity to grab a guy like Sal, because you are trying to address those kind of broader, like macro needs that you have. Um, but with that being said, you know, Sal plays every single day. If you look at the underlying metrics, they're absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the guy is just a hitter. You know, he had like 76 barrels last year. His barrel rate was through the roof. He doesn't make as much contact as he used to, but in 2020 and 2021, we're really seeing a very different hitter. And so I do not have any doubt that he's going to contribute the most of any catcher across the board with the exception of maybe Real Muto, if he can get those stolen bases, um, you know, and, and kind of get back a little bit of the power that he lost last year. So I'm happy to take him. I haven't yet because, you know, you have the, the, clo- the closers you need, you have the stolen bases that you need, the starting pitchers, but especially if you're starting as a hitter and you can get those stolen bases early and maybe pick him up in the third round with another starter. I think that's a really nice build if you're comfortable starting out your roster like that. Yeah, the thing that kind of gives me pause is, you know, saves are one of the 10 categories. Stolen bases are one of the 10 categories. Catcher production is not its own, like, roto category, right? Um, But you're right. I mean, if you do, like, if you can start with a Trey Turner, uh that opens things up and gives you some flexibility later in the draft. Um, if you really like some pocket of closers that is not, you know, happening early on, maybe that's something that you, you factor in your decision. But um, are either of you concerned at all just about the fact that this is a 31 year old catcher who turns 32 in May, who's coming off a year where he played in 161 games. Are you worried about the durability risk there at all? Um, I, you know, I, I'm obviously someone who takes injury risk into assess injury assessment risk into my uh, overall assessment of players. But um, I, I, it's not that I'm expecting him to play 161 games, but you know, this guy is, is pretty durable. I mean, he's played 130 games basically every year since 2013. So even at 130 games, I still think he's going to be, you know, far more productive than the vast majority of catchers. So, um, you know, the catcher position in general, another reason that I like to, that I don't like to use a top pick on him is, uh, I, I know Toby doesn't subscribe to this, but you know, there's a lot of wear and tear on catchers and they, they miss more time than other positions. Um, you know, they're involved in every single play, every pitch, you know, uh, they could jam a finger, or, you know, there's a number of things that can happen where other players aren't even involved in the play that catchers are. So there is a little bit of elevated risk there. Um, but 
and when it comes to him in particular, like as an individual, I don't have any, uh, you know, injury dings on him for this year. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not really. I mean, if you look at just the metrics, like he set his career high in max exit velo in barrel rate. Um, he was crushing the ball at the end of the year. He does have a unique profile because he's really, he's always done this. Like he, I think last year he actually set, uh, his own personal record for most plate appearances in a season. Um, but like he just does that. And if he's weren't wearing down, if he's, um, he, they can always throw him at DH. Right. Um, and so the, he's their best bat and they want to get him in the lineup. So I, I'm not too concerned about it outside of, you know, injuries happen. Before we move on to the Phillies, uh, are either of you interested in MJ Melendez at all in draft and holds? Uh, obviously, one of the top "quote unquote" catching prospects in the minors. Um, you know, with Sal Perez being there, there's a chance that MJ Melendez comes up and is playing a lot at another position, which we always like uh, when it, when we get a catcher who's playing and not catching. But either of you have any interest in MJ Melendez in draft and holds? Uh, <laughs> not really just because I, I don't have right now a great feel for when he would possibly be up and suddenly like their lineup is crowded and even more so with wit and Prado coming up possibly later. Uh, and you know, you got Mondesi there. Um, you know, he won't get many at bats at catcher. Uh, I mean, Sal's going to be playing catcher most of the time and then he'll occasionally play DH when he's not. And I think they're going to probably want to play uh, Mondesi there as well. I know there's that quote out there about like them possibly bringing up Melendez at some point this year. Um, I, I just don't know when it would be. It, you know, it might not be until you know August or September or something. Like who knows? Uh, the skills are good, but and when I'm doing DCs, I'm looking for guaranteed production. I'm looking for guys that I can count on to give me plate appearances. And for me right now, I just don't know enough to be confident in that with Melendez. Yeah, I, I subscribe to a very similar philosophy in the DC where I'm, I'm kind of going for uh, known, known production or folks that I know are going to get played appearances or throw innings. But I guess our question should be to you, James, like, should we be going after Melendez in our drafts here at catcher? Way to turn it on him. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah you know, um, quick kind of teaser uh, and plug for my big update to the top 400 prospect rankings. It'll be on February 1st. Uh, I I am going to have MJ Melendez uh, as like a borderline top 50 prospect, and I'm going to have him a good, you know, 40 or so spots ahead of teammate Nick Prado. I think when you kind of dig in, um, I think it's much more easy to buy into Melendez uh, hitting for a decent average initially in the majors than it is with Prado. Uh, and I kind of think Melendez is going to get a, a look before Prado gets a look. But um, yeah, I I'm in the same boat as you guys. There there's another prospect or two that we'll we'll get to that I do have some interest in. But um, yeah, with Melendez, like in, inside the top 400, you can still get uh, some nice uh, yeah. starting pitchers in that range, um, some nice outfielders in that range. So yeah, I think and that's that, and that's generally where I'm going with those picks too. You know, is those those pitchers are are generally the good values at that point where, where everybody's taking like these prospect hitters. I kind of stay away, but I did, I wish we could see what happened in 2020 because I see this massive jump in, or well, I guess regression in K rate for him. Like he went from striking out like 
30 to 39%, and then all the way down to 22% in 2021. So Melendez obviously grew a ton uh, in that in that short season that we didn't even see, that we can't really even account for. Yeah, there there's a lot of theories behind that. Um, it basically that whole team, that whole high A uh, Royals affiliate team, oh. um, sucked that year, and then most of them rebounded huh. in a huge way this this past season. Um, and a lot there's you know a lot of stuff out there about the the managers on that team and just what these guys were being taught and just the conditions were terrible down there and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a huge growth for, for Melendez and Prado relative to basically kind of falling off the, the prospect map in 2019. But yeah. Um, you know, I think we, we might not be out of the woods yet on, on either guy, but I do, I do have confidence in Melendez, uh, in a year or two being a pretty, um, you know, pretty appealing option that the key is him holding on to that catcher eligibility, because if he's just outfield only eligible next year, then he's much less appealing, obviously. Um, so that'll be something to watch with him this year, but uh, let's move on uh, to G- JT Real Muto, uh, Toby's guy. Um, now that what I said about Sal Perez, where, you know, catcher production is not a category uh well real muto kind of gets you that category uh juice with the with the stolen bases i mean you you're probably not banking on 13 again but he's always gotten you know up over five or six which is which is great for a catcher uh i'm gonna assume that you are okay taking him where he's going which is 50th overall on average toby yeah, you know, I kind of had like a very brief period of time earlier this year when I kind of fell out of love with him for a little bit, um, but I'm fully back in. Um, and I think, you know, last year he battled injuries throughout um, the season, I think. But even despite that, like he still put up a really solid barrel rate. Um, he still had, you know, the the great kind of plate discipline and uh, overall contact skills that he traditionally has. Uh, the stolen bases were obviously nights. The Phillies really, I mean, I, ha- I haven't looked anything specifically, but just as I go through different, how play- different players are doing, the Phillies really gave people the green light last year. Um, and I don't see why they will um, necessarily change that up. The projections really like him. Actually, Steamer bumped up the projection to 602 plate appearances today. I think he's a prime candidate to be a DH. Um, uh you know, and play some first base as well. He played first base towards the end of last season when Reese Hoskins went down. So I think he's going to get a ton of playing time. He's still fast. He still makes a ton of contact. He should have the batting average. The power will come with the plate appearances. So I really like him a lot. Like I have him as the 24th best player now with the latest steamer update uh, to their projections. And he's going uh, like uh, 54 on my spreadsheet, but uh, 50th um, more recently. Dave, before I get to you, uh, yep. Toby, um, could you see yourself ending up with both Sal and JT Real Muto in um, a draft that you've already done or an upcoming draft? A draft, I've already, dra- draft I've already done. I already, I think, don't I, do I have both of them? First pitch. Yeah, you got them yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First pitch yeah. Arizona, I got them. I got them both. I have them both. So I could definitely see it happening. Um, you know, that the speed is, is the issue, right? You leave that with only, you leave the first because I'm going to have probably two starting pitchers or at least a top end closer 
in the first four rounds. So you leave those first four rounds with 11 stolen bases. It's somewhat hard to navigate that though. I do think it's possible. So I'll never, I'll never say never. I had that combination on four or five teams last year. Nice. Dave, what's your uh, take on JT at pick 50 on average? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's very similar to my take on Sal. I, I agree um, that I think, I think that's it's it's fine for him to be going there, and I just don't think I'll have him unless he falls to the fifth. Like I just, I have other things that I'm trying to do in the first four rounds that uh, I, I just don't think I'm going to get there. And if if I am going to take someone, it's probably going to be Sal. I mean, the steals are nice from JT, but I just I I believe in Sal's uh, skills more. I mean. So, I mean, you know, JTR is great skills. I just, if I'm going to get someone, I, I feel like with Sal, you're at least getting like, okay, I'm getting this monster power from him too. I mean, I don't think he's going to hit 40 plus again, but I easily think he can hit 35 plus. You know, one thing that's interesting, at least for me and my kind of valuations this year is I just, I don't like a lot of the guys who go in the third and fourth round. Um, and that's, I think that's why I keep ending up with a closer in one of those rounds is because I just, you know, whoever I wanted is gone and I'm just like, well, I'll just take a closer or whatever. Um, and I've thought about just being like, well, maybe I'll just, I'll just take a catcher because I'm not really into it. And I mean, you could make a case that JT Ramuto is just as good a chance to get to 10 steals as like Frankie Lindor or, Wander Franco who are going right next to him. Um, I've taken Lindor, I think not over JT, but Lindor, I, I feel like is more likely to, to slip than JT, but um, I, I do kind of not like that range of the draft personally. Yeah. So one, one thing that I've kind of done the last couple of years is if, if I'm, if there's nobody that I'm in love with or that I feel like I really need on my team, I do often go to either the catcher or the closer at that point. Um, if I don't already have a plan for them otherwise. So I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, Man, that's... you got, don't do catchers like closers guys. Come on. I mean, closers, you always just get when you don't want to get anybody else's on the board, but no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know. We're not giving them enough respect. I get it. Um, yeah. It's very it, true. It, it's, Look, I'd rather take uh, I'd rather take either of these catchers than any of the first basemen that go in that like thirty to sixty range. Um, Agree. And and honestly, most of the starting pitchers, I don't really like that range for starting pitchers either. Um, okay, this this next catch. There's nobody else to talk about on the Philly death chart. Um, this next catcher is a guy who I've probably. I've pumped up as much as maybe any player so far on the podcast this off season, yet I don't have him in any of my three leagues. And that's probably because I was just a, a craven and unwilling to take him where he needed to be taken. And that's Will Smith of the Dodgers. Who's uh, like his underlying metrics from last year are just so beautiful to me. Um, I think he's just a, the real deal in terms of a hitter, like the type of guy who could hit, um, top four in any great lineup. Um, and, you know, he might not be the playing time machine that Sal Perez and JT Real Muto are, but he's going, you know, two rounds after Perez, a round after Real Muto. Um, so I think that's kind of baked in. Uh, are either of you guys as high on Will Smith as I am? 
I'm I'm not at, as high probably uh, on him. I think the thing with Smith is like you mentioned, like, I mean, you look at the underlying skills and they're just incredible. Like the play discipline, phenomenal. Contact rate is well above league average. He barrels the ball up. He doesn't hit the ball on the ground at all. Um, I think one of the limitations to that, just from a fantasy perspective, is that with him hit it, having such a high fly ball rate, he's also going to have a very low BABIP, which is something that he's done consistently, you know, throughout um, his career. And that's going to keep the batting average. I think it's kind of capped out at pretty close to what it is right now, uh, barring a change in um, in the overall kind of like uh, batted ball profile. But that being said, like, I mean, the batted ball profile is is wonderful. So if you're looking for a guy who can contribute 20 to 25 home runs, hit you 250 to 260 consistently. You know, not really going to get stolen bases, although he had, you know, he had three last year. You know, I think he's great. I think he's, I think he's super solid, but it's just that um, it's not necessarily the profile that I'm looking for where he's going, you know, in the draft, especially with some of the guys that are going later on that I think contribute a pretty similar profile. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with what he's saying. Um, I I have found myself being being in on Will Smith, but I also see you know that that Perez and Real Muto are just uh, I don't know if it's a big enough difference from where Will Smith goes after them. Like I, I really like Will Smith, uh, mostly because I feel like I can get him in the fifth round sometimes. But um, I don't know. He's he's kind of getting pushed up a little bit further now, like where he's only going a couple slots uh, after. Like he only you know, well, like you said, a round after Real Muto. So I guess, you know, the question is, is it, is, is he worth taking if I can just get Real Muto around earlier? Um, I don't know. It's probably not the smart way to go, but again, I feel like if he does get those, uh, a lot of those DH at bats, like he did in 2020, I, I, I mean, I think his, I think his average can be a little higher than 250, 260. Um, I do. I understand the BABIP concerns there. Um, you know, he regressed a little bit with his walk rate and K rate from 2020 in the short, short sample, but it's still really good. Like he walks 11 and a half percent of the time strikeout strikeout rate is only at about 20%. Uh, you know, his contact rate is, is 80%. That's awesome. Um, I'd like to see his zone contact rate go up a little bit. I mean, 85 and a half percent is really good, but considering his contact rate is already 80%, I think he has a little room for improvement. Uh, his max EV is only 108.6. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. If he's capable of like, you know, 35 homers, but, uh, you know, the Dodger stadium does, uh, is actually a really good park factor for home runs. So, uh, it would be a really good lineup to be in, but compared to those first two, he probably should go a little later than them, or maybe they should be going earlier. However you want to look at it. But, uh, you know, if, if you, if you want a top catcher, I'm, I'm not going to say he's, he's a bad pick at all there. Yeah, I, I think I agree with the hierarchy of the ADP. Like, I, I mean, if they were all on the board, I would take Perez first, I would take Grimuta second, and I would take Smith third. Um, I think I, it's sort of that I'm more comfortable. Um, I don't, I don't have the the Toby stones of of taking the catcher in the third. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, Will Smith had a infield fly ball rate below 5% last year, which is ridiculous for a catcher. Um, Zips has him, or no, uh, ATC has him at 263 with 28 bombs, 74 runs, 81 RBI, two steals, um, which is, you know, really, really great production at that position. Um, Dave, would you rather have 
Will Smith and Emmanuel Classe or JT Ramuto and Araldis Chapman? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to go with JTR and Chapman there. Uh, I was just looking into Chapman recently, and you know, I, I know he really lost himself last year at, at times, but there's 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 a couple things with that. And one is that I mean, he's done this for so long. Uh he he is the epitome of the guy who has the closer tag that that managers really care about. Um, because the Yankees will literally keep putting him back in the closer role, even if he's pitching like crap. So I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, they've got other good pitchers there. It, trust me, it doesn't matter. They're definitely going to go back to Chapman every single time uh, that he loses. If he loses the job, they're going to give it right back to him, assuming they can. Um, so I'm not really worried about his job security. And down the stretch, I, I, I don't remember because I'm not looking at the game log right now, but I think it was something like he had like one walk in his last like 15 outings or something like that. So he definitely uh, got that control back. So um, I, yeah, I would, I would rather go with those two. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think that that's a that's a fun. Would you rather? Um, it is. Okay. Uh, this guy is probably the most uh, kind of controversial of the catchers we'll be talking about today. Uh, I saw that the uh, what was that hundred or thousand dollar DC set the the min on him uh, the other day. Uh, Dalton Varsho, who has an ADP just inside the top 100. But as I said, he has gone quite a bit higher than that. Uh, this is a guy where, you know, when I first started doing my draft prep, I was completely out. And now I'm starting to understand why he's going where he's going. Um, where do you guys stand on, on Dalton Varsho? Start with you, Toby. All right. Um, I, I've, I've, I've gone through a, a similar experience. I was actually really into Varsho last year. I was drafting him a bunch early on in like around pick 150 in a lot of DCs just because of what he provides. I mean, he's kind of a JTR or JT Realmuto light, if you will, uh, just because of what he's able to contribute. I picked him up in my last draft champions league. I think he's actually like one thing that's really nice about him and J JTR is if you do get a catcher early on and you draft them. The fact that they don't hurt you in stolen bases and can actually help you around that point in the draft. Um, just thinking through my last draft experience, when I when I picked Varsho, uh, I think it was pick 103. And around there, there just isn't a lot of speed guys left. Like at least the high-end speed guys are, are gone and off the board. And so it's a nice little way of adding speed while also contributing from a catching perspective. But when you look at just the underlying skills, I think for Varsho, number one, like contextually, the Diamondbacks is a great situation. He's young. He's already playing. They're going to give him an opportunity to play because I think they think he's part of the future, not even necessarily as a catcher, but um, also playing center field and in the outfield there. So I don't think there's a ton of comp uh, competition for plate appearances. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they manage that and the number of plate appearances he gets, because I would not be surprised if he gets, you know, 550 to 600 and plays pretty much every single day. Maybe he gets a day off every week after he catches you know, something like that. But I think he's going to be in the outfield more than catching because of Carson Kelly, so long as he's healthy. But just from a skills perspective, like the plate appearance, the uh, plate discipline is right around league average. Contact rate, you know, better than league average. Um, the barrel rate was really solid, like 7.3%, 16 barrels last year, max, max exit velocity of 111. So like he pretty much checks all the boxes that you're looking for just from a fundamentals perspective. You know, the BABIP has been low. I don't know whether that's going to be a consistent thing for him 
or not. But even if it is, as long as he hits 240, he hits those plate appearance thresholds. You're talking about a guy who could go 2010, you know, pretty easily with a little bit of upside there at the catching position. I think that's, uh, that's fantastic. So I'm inclined more and more um, to like him um, because I think a lot of the projections that you look at, at are underestimating the number of plate appearances that he's going to get. Yeah. Um, agree. Uh, like you guys, when I saw at first pitch, Arizona, Curlin took him what seemed like it was pretty early. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then like later, you know, same process as you guys looking into it and thinking about it and being like, Oh yeah, no, that made a lot of sense actually. Um, I actually, especially like him in DCs because as silly as it seems that outfield eligibility could easily come in handy. Um, you lose so many outfielders in DCs to injuries. And I mean, you have to start five of them, you know? So uh, as crazy as it sounds, if you might end up playing Varsho at outfield for some weeks uh, and, you know, we took him in the battle of the pods DC that we were in with, uh, with Toby last year, we took him in like the 11th round and it was like, a we did it stupid early. It was like January, like early January that we did this. And like a week later, we were, we heard, oh yeah, the, the Varsha's not going to be starting with the Diamondbacks. And we're like, oh great, all right. Well, there's our round eleven pick on our starting catcher, who's now going to be in the minors the whole year. Uh, and then he came up at the end, and obviously was helpful for us at the end, but a little late by then. Um, but yeah, the thing about these catchers is you want to find guys who are eligible at catcher, but who play every day at other positions if possible. I mean, I, if I could have two catchers who don't actually play catcher. <clears throat> that would be the best situation possible. You're, you're, you're not where you don't have the same wear and tear, the injury risk that you would at catcher. Um, you're going to be in the lineup every day. Like they played him. I looked, I looked at his game log. He started 17 of the last 18 games. And most of them were in the outfield. Uh, Carson Kelly was still starting at catcher like two thirds of the time. So um, yeah, Varsho getting all that playing time in the outfield uh, is, is phenomenal. And last three weeks, his contact rate skyrocketed. K percentage was way down. Um, you know, it looked like he was finally making that growth that we could hope for. And, you know, Toby mentioned his BABIP. I mean, I don't know if it matters, but in the in the minors, he had a pretty consistently high BABIP. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it uh, go up a little bit. Projection systems have him hitting closer to 255 compared to 245 last year. So I, I think there's some upside still there. And uh, it's kind of like getting JTR uh, a little bit, lesser version of JTR light, uh, but much later. So yeah, I, I definitely get why Varsho is going as high as he is. Yeah. I think you guys laid that out really well. I mean, the reason I was out initially is I was just like, you know, this guy's not a good enough, uh, all around player to be an everyday outfielder and he's not a good enough defensive catcher to get a ton of time there. And the more I looked at their depth chart, it's just like, doesn't really matter how good he is because he's way better than all their other options. And uh, I think there's a chance that he doesn't have catcher eligibility next year um, because of how weak they are in the outfield and kind of his limitations behind the plate. So this might be your last chance to get him in NFBC leagues as a catcher. Um, what do you guys think about his teammate, Carson Kelly? Dave, you mentioned that he was playing about two thirds of the time. Uh, he has a pretty good reputation defensively behind the plate. His other competition besides Dalton Varsho is Jose Herrera. Uh, you know, hasn't had a easy time staying healthy throughout his career, but Kelly, um, 
going, I think, just inside the top 300 right now. Yeah, I mean, I like him. Uh, you know, I expect him to play about two thirds of the games. Um, it could even be a little bit more if they utilize their DH and, and use Varsho there. They could, you know, play them both. So that could open up some more playing time for Kelly. Um, he walks a ton, you know, 12.3% last season. Uh, he doesn't strike out a ton. He, you know, 20% last year uh, with a sub 10% swinging strike rate. Good contact numbers. Um, you know, in solid power, you know, 109 max EV, uh, 8.5% barrel rate last year. So I think you're looking at a guy who can give you, you know, 15 to 20 homers and, and solid stats playing at least two thirds of the game. So I think he's a little undervalued for where he's going. If you, if you end up with Carson Kelly as your second catcher, have things gone wrong? Is that something where you leave the draft and you're like, okay, that's, that's fine. I can live with that. I, I hope not. Cause I have him as my catcher too. in one of my DCs, that I <laughs> um, I, I agree with Dave, uh, everything he mentioned. I like Kelly a lot. There's this, there's a group of catchers right around going where Kelly's going kind of like pick 240 to pick new 290 or so. And I like pretty much every single one of them. They each contribute a little bit of something different, but Kelly's profile seems super safe. Like it's, you know, there's a little bit of downside on the batting average, but you're going to get that with catchers. He had that one period of time in his career. I think it was like end of 2019 where he hit like 150 or something for an extended period of time. But outside of that, he's been really solid. He has power. He's got pretty much everything, everything you want. So I'm kind of waiting for that group and who's going to fall through that group. And in my last draft, it was Kelly and I was more than happy to draft him right before pick 300, I think. So Toby, have we reached the spot? Um, you know, we've gone through four catchers. Have we reached kind of a spot where if you don't have your first catcher at this point, something's gone wrong? Uh, not really. I think we've got a couple more to get through before I get to that, that, that point in time um so far in my drafts right now i actually don't have any jt well i guess I, my first pitch arizona i have both of them so i guess I, that's a lie but in my two dcs that i've done first pitch arizona we started drafting in, in early october uh the two recent ones that i've done i don't have either of those either of those guys or will smith i do have one of, of our show though so the next guy the fifth catcher by adp uh yasmani grandal going at pick 110 on average in January. Uh, he was hitting like below 200, I think, for most of the first half, got hurt, and then he just was on fire to close the season and ended up putting up kind of his normal numbers. Uh, is this, I mean, you look at what he's done. Is this the most consistent catcher profile there is on the board? Basically just bank a 240 average and, 20 plus homers and a ton of playing time. Yeah, he's, he, oh. or, oh. <laughs> Toby, Toby, you go. Go ahead, Toby. I was just gonna say, yeah, he's beautiful. I mean, Yasmani Grandal, like I think everybody, every, every year, the criticism is the same. It's like, oh, well, there's a batting average floor. There's a batting average floor. There's a batting average floor. I mean, 247, 241, 246, 230, 240. He's got one season as a catcher with a batting average under 240. In the context of today's game, when league average, you know, in fantasy for batting average is like 257 in a 15 team league, you know, that that plays, especially with the power. He's going to play a ton because he's going to play some DH, you know, in that lineup, which isn't as strong maybe as, you know, we sometimes think about. Um, 
And then I think the one thing with him last year, you mentioned it's a, it was a season of extremes, had that super low batting average, super high batting average. The home runs are a little bit unsustainable. Like the home run per fly ball rate is well, well above what he's ever done in his career. So I think you see that fall down a little bit. And I think he was a little unlucky with it uh, from a Babbitt perspective. So that all evens out in the wash. And I think you get exactly what you said, James, which is like, you know, 240 average, 25 home runs, you know, 60 and 70 or even more than that, possibly. So it's a really nice profile. I, I like him a lot. I yeah. actually like, I, I think I like that lineup maybe more than you do, uh, Toby. I, I think that that one has uh, some sneaky upside just because of, you know, we didn't get the real Eloy last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Lou Bob missed a ton of time. And if you get kind of those top six pretty healthy, uh, you know, I think Andrew Vaughn is going to have a better year than he did last year. And you have him hitting maybe cleanup. Um, the fact that he's a switch hitter and most of their guys bat right-handed should allow him to hit fairly high. Uh, I, I like the lineup context there. It was, it was more an indictment of Gavin Sheets as your DH, I think. So he, <laughs> I, I don't I, really, he, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that. This is one where I'm going to take issue with roster resource ooh. a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, because yeah, you're yeah. thinking Andrew Vaughn ends up being there or like some. some yeah. I, well, there. I think Andrew Vaughn and Jose Abreu just kind of go back and forth between first base and DH, but, um, okay. but either way, I mean, it's more about the top six than the bottom three, but yeah, I, I see your point. It, it's a top heavy lineup. Yeah. And I, I like the lineup generally. It was just like, there could be opportunity for him to play outside a catcher. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's totally fair. Uh, Dave, you got anything to add on Yasmani? I do a little bit actually. Um, so the pros are obviously everything that Toby said, highest max EV since 2015, highest barrel percentage, hard hit percentage and walk rate of his career. The, the K rate went back down. The contact rate went back up. Um, you know, fluky home run per fly ball rate, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, the, the power is he's, he's shown he can do that. Um, here's, here's why I probably won't have any though. Uh, he's 33 years old, back knee calf reoccurring injuries last two uh, seasons, you know, a catcher. That's not what I want to see. He's had a lot of those little things and it kind of feels like, Things are building up. I, I know he hasn't missed a ton of time. He did last year. He missed a lot of time. But in, in the last couple of years before that, he was pretty healthy. But I'm a little concerned that he could uh, kind of do something similar this year and maybe not even get to 400 plate appearances again. So um, I, I agree the profile is is very solid. I just think personally there's other guys I would prefer to uh, put my money on. We got our first Dr. Dave sighting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which which by the way james this is how you uh you came to start kind of following me right was because i just i you were talking about aj puck and uh, i said i don't think he's Oof. healthy this year ouch yeah, that, <laughs> was wow. i was i was i wrong about that was that was that was that a miss by me um, i mean that was a couple thinking, of years thinking that aj puck was healthy <laughs> yikes um yeah uh that was one where i a scout told me that like he was just in love with AJ puck and was like, you are going to want to get as much of him as you can when he comes back. And that, that weighed too heavily on my mind. Um, and yeah, it's been a very kind of tragic turn of events for AJ puck. Um, but yes, Monty Gondal is actually the first guy we've talked about who I have a share of in one of my three drafts. Um, 
Okay. And I think that was that was a case of him just you know, he's he's someone that like I have all these guys sort of on my board. Um cat I don't think you can be too picky with the top catchers and he just sort of fell. Yeah. Like I got him around pick like one thirty five, something like that. Um but uh let's stay in Chicago. Uh Wilson Contreras going at pick one twenty three. Jan Gomes going to pick three forty five. Uh, how do we see the playing time here shaking out with Wilson, Wilson Contreras? Can he be a guy like the um, other guys we've talked about other than maybe Will Smith who can play almost every day uh, with the DH and the NL? Yeah, I think it's just a question of if he stays on the Cubs because we saw in 2020 they, again, played him literally every day between catcher and DH. So uh, this is the guy I actually really like and who I would take over uh, Grandal. Um, you know, he, he should get that playing time, assuming he stays with the Cubs. I know they brought in Gomes, but I think, you know, with the DH, they're probably going to be times where they use both of them. They don't really have a whole lot of options on that team to play there anyhow. Um, but I mean, he, you know, 115.4 max EV, 48.4% hard hit rate. He's got plenty of power. He walks a good amount. Uh, you know, he just needs the at bats and with the DH there. Um, I, I think he gets there assuming he's, he's still on the Cubs and, if he goes somewhere else, there's also the possibility that they play him every day too between catcher and DH. Uh, but that's that's really the only downside I see here is um, is whether or not he's going to be on the Cubs by April. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he he gets a lot of plate appearances. I have him on. He's my other catcher one on my other team um, that I've drafted so far. Um, I think he's he's solid. Like he's he's a very consistent contributor as well. Um, ground ball rates a little bit high, which has always kind of capped the power potential a little bit, but he still should be good for 20 home runs, especially if he's playing virtually every day. Um, if he gets played appearances as the, as the DH for the Cubs, and he's certainly good enough to do that from a hitting perspective. There's also a little bit of speed there, which is really nice. Um, you know, maybe five or six stolen bases, which from the catcher position is 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 nothing to sneeze at. So I, I I'm a I fan of Contreras. He ran nine times last year. I was shocked by that. I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's. I mean, this is kind of like. I think this is kind of the line where I would say like I want to have my catcher one by this point in time um, because I really do like Grandall and Contreras a lot. I think after that is when um, maybe it it uh, falls off a little bit for me. That's kind of that's kind of what I was thinking when you uh sort of alluded to that um and that is it does feel like a very steep drop off at least to me um after Contreras like do we do we actually think for sure that it would be a bad thing if he got traded though that's what I was saying I I have no idea I just I know I think I know what his situation is in Chicago I don't know what it would be elsewhere like I don't know if he would go somewhere else and potentially split time like he's not an elite guy you know it's not like jtr or sal where i'm gonna have zero uh worries about him playing every day there would be a slight concern there but yeah he could easily still end up playing every day uh if he goes somewhere else it just kind of depends are either you guys interested at all in jan gomes as anything more than your third catcher in a dc uh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, you, you go ahead, Dave. You, you first, uh, I keep on cutting you off. No, 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 you're fine. Uh, I, did, I did, you know, he's got good contact skills, uh, maintained the lower K rate from 2020, decent power. I think if Contreras gets traded, 
he becomes pretty interesting. But Gomes has really not been a guy who has been a full-time starter really much in his career. Uh, I'm trying to think maybe uh, maybe back when he was with Cleveland, he might have gotten closer to full-time. But uh, at this point, I'm not expecting that. But uh, yeah, I just don't think he can be anything more than a, than a third catcher right now. Yeah, I'd say catcher three right now, but I do think that if he if he does become the starter in Chicago, I think he's really interesting and he falls into kind of the Carson Kelly type of that yeah. grouping there, kind of 250 to 300 as a really solid catcher two that I'd be perfectly fine having. He's got some real growth, it looks like, over the past you know couple of years just in, in terms of becoming more consistent um, with his plate approach. Yeah, and I mean, depending on what might come back in a, any number of trades the Cubs might still make uh, this offseason. There's really nothing behind Jan Gomes. So um, he could be in for as much work as he can handle if there is a trade. Um, all right. So there is a bit of a drop off here. Uh, we're, we're moving on to Tyler Stevenson, uh, the only red really worth talking about going at pick 155. Uh, on last week's pod, um, with Michael Simeon, I picked him as the catcher going inside the top. 200 that I expected to have on none of my teams. Uh, but that was kind of just a default, uh, because I had to pick someone. It's more about where he's going. Like, I, I think there are just guys going kind of these next three spots after him that I think are just as good. Uh, but are you guys, are, are you guys into Tyler Stevenson around pick 155? Um, I, I'm not. And so I'm really glad to hear that you aren't either just because, you know, you know, the the prospect pedigree a lot more. The thing I think for Stevenson is I'm just, I have questions about whether he gets the same level of playing time that some of the other guys that we talked about are. And then I think a lot of people and may, what they might be doing is just like looking at him and being like, you know, me and Bubba joked around on our catcher podcast. And whenever we talk about him, like, he's a big dude, like he's like, whatever, six, four, two twenty five, I think. And so you see him and you're like, oh, this guy's got to hit for power, right? He's got to hit for power. But there's nothing in his profile that points to that. And James, you would have been proud of me. During the podcast, I was like, I was like, let me see what his, what his game power is. And his raw power on Fangraphs was like 60 or something. I should have checked RotoWire, but it was like 60 on Fangraphs. And then the game power was like 40 slash 45, you know? And so it was pretty clear to me that this is a big guy who maybe has that power in him somewhere but has never really been able to bring it, put it together in a game. And maybe it's because he focuses so much more on contact. Like I love that part of his game, the plate discipline, you know, he makes a ton of contact, but I just see him as a guy who's probably going to get those 400 to 450 plate appearances and probably put together a line, you know, pretty similar to what he did last year with probably some lower batting average just because the Babbitt was a little bit out of whack. And so then you're kind of getting a pretty similar profile to like, a Yadier Molina or Omar Narvaez or a Carson Kelly, but you're getting it way more. And I think what people are doing is projecting that power for him when there's nothing in his game really um, that says that. I think his max exit velo, like, yeah, he's like, he's Kevin Biggio level, like 106.6 max exit velo, you know, Kevin Biggio is really like 104 max exit velo, but I had to throw that in there. It's yeah, and a 50% ground ball rate also. Um, yeah, he he very much has a really good contact profile. Like, 
I mean, like you said with the Babip, he, he might regress an average, but he might not because he really does have the ability to hit for, I mean, 83% contact rate, 91.5% zone contact rate. Uh, I think, you know, and, and hitting all those ground balls, uh, you know, good amount of line drives. I think he can he can hit for good average for you. The, the question, like you said, is if, if the power is there. I think the main thing for me, the reason why I probably won't have any, uh, despite my uh, Friends with Fantasy Benefits co-host drooling over this guy constantly, um, I just think it's it's people are projecting a lot more at-bats with the DH that I don't think are going to be there. I think a lot of those at-bats are going to go to guys like Jesse Winker, maybe Nick Senzel to try to keep him healthy. I just don't know. I, I mean, in 2020, they didn't really use Stevenson as their DH. And granted, doesn't mean that they won't two years later, but I don't think there's going to be a big uptick there. And uh, so I, I'm not really projecting him for too many more at-bats than what he had last year. And I think that's kind of that's kind of what separates him from the guys going above him where I'd much rather get, you know, Contreras, uh, you know, a rounder, a round and a half ahead of him. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the the case for taking him is the – batting average um and i'm i totally agree with you dave about the dh work going to other players but i, I mean you do got to admit there's a massive drop off between him and what is it, andrew knapp who's their their backup yeah. so i mean he, yeah. he probably plays five days a week uh at catcher and he hits for a high average but uh to me it's it's just paying that price for a guy who is not going to hit 20 homers and might not even hit 15 homers even with all that work. So it, it's more about just, I think he's mispriced. Like I, I think if he were going in the, you know, early to mid two hundreds, I'd be totally fine with it, but um, I just, I just can't get in at, at that price. Um, one guy who I have been able to get in at the price is Caber Ruiz, who is uh, the only guy we're going to talk about on the nationals. And he's going to pick one sixty. Uh Toby, what do you see in, in Kyber Ruiz? Yeah, it's kind of a unicorn profile. Like he just makes so much contact, puts the ball in play a ton. Like the plate discipline isn't, isn't that good. I don't know. It wasn't even that good in the minors. I don't think either, but he just, he just has bat, bat to ball skills. Um, I like, I like him a decent amount just cause I think you can count, you can count on the batting average being there just because the K rate is so low and the batted ball quality is going to be enough where, um, where, where he'll produce, I think. And I think you're going to get more power than you're going to get with Stevenson. And I think he's going to be one of the better hitters on the Nats this year. And so I do think that he'll get the plate appearances that he needs, you know, to, um, to kind of justify at least where he's going in drafts. I think there's a little bit of upside, but even though he's a rookie, it seems like the profile is just so consistent and solid that I don't actually have that many concerns about him being a, a bust at all. What do you yeah. think, Dave? Yeah, same thing. Um, I was just going to say, it basically looks like Stevenson, but with more power and probably more upside. Uh, you know, the Nationals don't really have anybody else that they need to give their DH at-bats to, so he could end up playing every day. I, I know last year he played two-thirds of the games, but this is a situation where if he's – Maybe not right away, maybe not right out of the gates, but if he's hitting well, um, I think th it would make a lot of sense for them to keep giving him at-bats to keep his bat in the lineup. Um, but uh, I'm actually kind of more curious about your opinion on this one, James, uh, being the prospect guy. Yeah, no, I I love him. I, I Like I said, I, I do already have a share. Uh, he and Grandal are the, the only guys I've got 
so far that are going inside the top 200. Um, you know, I mean, you look at just this Nationals team, it's Juan Soto and Ruiz are their two building blocks at the big league level. Like those are the two guys they're building around, period. Like there's a just a huge drop off after Ruiz to whoever you want to say their their third best young player is. And uh, Ruiz has gotten steadily better as a defender, uh, steadily better as a power hitter. And I, I think, you know, you look at what the Dodgers had to give up to get, you know, to get Max Scherzer for a, a postseason run and to get Trey Turner uh, under contract. I, I mean, I think Ruiz was the the crown jewel of, of that return, and it was going to take a player like him to, to get that type of package. Um, so, I mean, I think he's going to get all the playing time he can handle. I, I don't expect them to be uh, up too much over, you know, 500 plate appearances, but I think you're going to get a really, really good batting average for the position with around 20 homers, which I think is, is great in this range. What, what is his, um, what's his exit velocity in the minors? Like max EV, do you have a, do you have a sense of what that was? Cause it wasn't great so far in the majors, but we have a fairly small sample. Um, let me actually, it. let me look something up. Um, I can't get you his max, but we do have, uh, we do have hard hit percentage data, and um, he had a he had a thirty six percent hard hit rate at Triple uh, A, which is is pretty elite for um, any player at Triple A, and especially a twenty two year old catcher uh, had just a twelve percent soft hit rate there. Um, so you know, for for a catcher his age, I would say the the hard hit data is is very encouraging cool okay um all right when we uh let's let's do a quick uh ad read but when we come back we'll talk about another uh prospect uh in adley rutschman and get these guys takes on whether he's worth the price at pick 190 we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. 
we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, moneyline bets, boosted parlays, over/unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at baccarat. WinBet is currently available in seven states: Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a, fr- a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right, we are back. And as promised, uh, Adley Rutschman, the last catcher going inside the top 200 uh, has not played a single game in the majors. We don't know if he's going to be on the opening day roster or not. Uh, that might depend on the new CBA. But the uh, drafting public is is buying in to a, a pretty large extent. I haven't seen a catcher prospect go this high before debuting uh, really since I've been doing this. So what do you guys think? Is this uh, too much hype? Is this about right for a guy who is kind of the face of this rebuild. Uh, start with you, Toby. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough because we haven't seen him in the majors at all. Um, I, I have not been interested in getting him at this cost. Um, I know it's kind of like uh, a broken record, but ca- you know, catcher prospects have a checkered history, you know, especially of hitting the ground running. There's a lot he's going to have to learn from managing, you know, a staff to also trying to compete against um uh, big league pitchers. I know that the prospect pedigree is fantastic and that he's, you know, done pretty well in the minor leagues, especially for being, I think, relatively young for um, the different levels that he was playing at as a catcher. But I still, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's sacrilegious to say it, but like, if you look at some of his numbers, like at double A and triple A, like they're, they're good numbers for sure. Um but again, like, I don't know, making the jump. And I think there, I just think that the expectations are so high and I'm not sure. And maybe it's just because like, yeah, we don't know the situation with the CBA. We don't know if he's going to get hit the, you know, start immediately or, or what the deal is going to be. But I just, uh, I haven't been able to get, get behind him at all. Dave. Yeah, I'll just keep it simple. Uh, pretty much what he said, and uh, I I just have zero interest. Um, I I don't know what I'm getting. I don't know the playing time situation. Uh, you know, I'm just not going to draft uh, anybody uh, who I don't know what I'm going to get out of them, especially not as a starter. Uh, so I just 
just can't do it right now. Uh, maybe, maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't have any shares yet. Um, I think he is a bit more interesting in draft and holds than in uh, main events and, and online yeah. championships. But, um, you know, it is, it's kind of a, there's, there's a case in that he would be basically playing every day uh, and be in the lineup when he wasn't catching, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I think that they, he he's someone who from a town standpoint should have debuted um, in like July of last year. And they've just been unwilling to start his clock because basically once they start his clock, then uh, they're going to start getting judged uh, for this rebuild. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't drafted him yet. That's a, uh, there's a lot of good players with um, really long track records who are available in that range. So I think I am largely with you guys on that one. Uh, Mitch Garver and Ryan Jeffers, uh, are both going inside the top 450. Uh, Dave, if I recall on that pod, I was mentioning, um, you were Garver was a guy where I, I, my initial reaction was Dave's too low on Garver. Uh, am I remembering that correctly? That you're not a, a huge fan of Garver as, yeah. as say, a catcher one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely not a, not a Garver fan. I mean, he's got great power. Um, you know, the, the average is actually fine too, but he just doesn't get enough at bats. Um, you know, he plays about 60% of the time. And then the last three years, he's had a myriad of injury issues from ankle, heel, hip, side, hand, shoulder, knee, groin, back. I mean, <laughs> uh, catching is, is not going to, uh, help any of those either. So, uh, until they show, I mean, this guy's never played over 350 plate appearances, so, until I see him actually playing more. I mean, I didn't believe in what he did in 2019. So um, I'm not expecting to see anything like that again. Uh, the skills are there. It's, it's just the playing time isn't. And if he has, uh, you know, a dip, um, you know, his contact rate is, is not, not great, but he does hit the ball hard. So um, I, I just, it's just not a guy that I like to draft. Toby, do you, do you agree with that? I generally do. Um, I think I think Garver's a, Garver's very good. Like if he were healthy and we knew he was healthy and that the Twins were going to play him more than every other day, then I would be very interested because I think you know the contact skills are pretty are are good. Um, the play discipline is really good. He hits for a decent enough batting average. The power is legit. I mean the the barrel rates when he's been healthy have been absolutely phenomenal. But even when he was playing ridiculously well back in 2019, I think it was, was it 2019 that he had the big, the big season. Um, even then the twins would not play him more than, you know, once out of every two days, it was just him and Castro were constantly rotating. They didn't put him at first base or at DH when they could have, I mean, I'm sure he got a few plate appearance there, but I think he ended up with like 359 plate appearances or something like that. And so if that's kind of your ceiling that you're working with from your catcher one, if anybody can contribute at that level, it is a guy like Garver who has that type of batted ball, bat to ball skills. But I think you're really capping what the ceiling potential could be unless there's a philosophical change from the twins. And with the same GM and the same manager, I just don't see that happening. 
Yeah, they've yeah. kind of they've kind of become like the Rays. I mean, they they really don't play many guys every day. They they all pretty much sit once or twice a week now. So, uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's it seems like a philosophical choice where they just don't want their guys uh, playing every day. So, does that mean that either of you are interested in his teammate Ryan Jeffers as a third catcher? Uh, Jeffers had a fairly good showing in a tiny sample in 2020 uh really solid track record in the minors but he came crashing back to earth last year i like jeffers some as as a as a catcher three because of the fact that his power is definitely legit and i like getting guys behind uh a catcher i like good options behind catchers that i think are bigger injury risks and i think that garver is just that so I think that Jeffers, um, you know, while you're certainly going to have to not, you're not going to get a good average from him, but your, your, your third catcher is not exactly what you're hoping to, to get your, to buoy your team average. So I'm fine with it, with that. So yeah, I, I do have some interest in him. Um, I think for where he goes, I'm trying to remember how late he goes, but it's pretty late. Yeah. He's going at pick 447 on average. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm okay with it there. Yeah, no, I think you you guys make some good points on the, you know, with with Garver, I maybe underrated the the uh, expected games played or games missed due to injury. Uh, haven't ended up with them anywhere, but um, yeah, I mean, I, it sounds like we actually just all agree about how good he is. Uh, it's more yeah, about just the, good. the playing time. Um, okay. Uh, this is another situation where there's a bit of a crowd. It's actually the first team where we're, we might talk about three guys. Uh, Atlanta has Travis Darno going 216, Manny Pena going 519, and William Contreras going 620. And I wouldn't be surprised if William Contreras was traded at some point this offseason. But uh, let's start with Darno, uh, who had a monster year in the shortened season. And then uh missed time last year and wasn't as good as he was in 2020 when he did play uh he's going like i said at pick 216 uh either interested in in darno as maybe a a high-end catcher two or a low-end catcher one yeah yeah i think i i would be um darno's like the perfect example of a guy who has like a really good season and a really crappy season and he's probably about in between like that good, right? Like he does have a little bit of an injury history, which is a concern. But remember last year he was going much higher in drafts after that, you know, uh, 2020 season that he had. Um, but, you know, he does like everything. Um, he does everything pretty well. And I think he's going to play a decent amount um, in Atlanta. Like he's going to catch uh, a good amount. And then I think they'll also be able to rotate him in as a DH obviously depends on what happens with their outfield situation. Since they do had, they did end last season with, with some good depth in the outfield there where they could plug some guys in a DH, but I do like where he's going, you know, um, uh, falling into the, like the two hundreds. Um, when we know what he can contribute is, uh, I think he's, I think he's solid. Yeah. And like, when I look at my, at my spreadsheet, um, and you know he's one of the biggest he's one of the biggest values there. I have him as the 109th best player, um, and his ADP, as we mentioned, is in the is in the 200s. So 
Um, he's really nice. And again, yeah, if you miss out on all those like elite um, catchers, like this is kind of a nice little place um, to get to get one because also the hitting at this point in the draft is pretty um, is pretty rough. Yeah, uh, I agree with a lot of that. And I kind of made like a pros and cons list for him. So in the pros projected for the fourth most at-bats amongst catchers, uh, the Braves played him every day when they had a DH in 2020. And like like Toby said, assuming what they do with their outfield, assuming who they bring in, uh, right now it looks pretty likely that they would use him at DH a fair amount. Uh, good contact. Uh, he's due some Babbitt progression there for sure. And uh, last two seasons, injury-wise, the the pro is that he only really had a thumb injury, which is not really concerning to me moving forward. The cons are that he's he's a 33-year-old catcher who I believe has the most IL days in the majors, uh, currently active in the majors. So uh yeah. Um it, it it makes it makes it less likely that I want him on like a main event team where I'm gonna have to, when he gets hurt, make some tough decisions. Like, am I gonna keep him? Am I gonna drop him? Who I'm gonna have to pick someone up to put in for him. I like him a lot better as a, an option in DCs. Um, he did, he did also have three straight years of uh, his launch angle decreasing uh, and he's only reached plate 400 plate appearances once in 2014. So it, it just, the problem is it feels like we're, we're really hoping he, he puts up those plate appearances, whereas he never really has before, but I think the opportunity is there. I just, I just can't do it in a, in a non DC. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, Steamer, uh, looking at that aforementioned auction calculator, Steamer's got him uh, being more valuable than Varsho, Tyler Stevenson, Rutschman, Garver. Uh, so a lot of the guys we've already talked about. And I think that's that because that, they have him projected for 547 plate appearances. So that would right. be 125 I mean, more plate appearances than he's ever had in his career. So it could happen, but. It's that's that's tough to buy in on. Well, I yeah, I wasn't I wasn't saying I bought in on it. I was basically saying yeah. like um, that's to me why he's got the ADP he has uh, because I I would have thought you know coming off of the year he had at his age with the injury concerns you, you've alluded to uh, you might have been able to get him more in kind of the late two hundreds. Yeah. Uh, but I think that steamer projection, you know, really. Varsho and Darno should have flip-flop projected plate appearances on Steamer. Um, that 412 should be Darno's and the 547 should be Varsho's. And then if if that happened, I think you'd see Varsho up with Grandal and Wilson Contreras, which the drafting public seems to have already adjusted for. Um, Manny Pena is a guy that I've ended up with as my third catcher in multiple DCs so far. I uh, just think that they they paid him. Um, they they went you know kind of out of their way to to sign him before the lockout, and uh, you know assuming Darno does miss time at at some point, he might be playing pretty regularly. Uh, I mentioned William Contreras is someone who I would also be targeting as the third catcher, if not for the fact that he's the third catcher on his own team. Um, do you guys have anything to add on either of them? I I do like Manny Pina. Um for again, the same reason that I like Jeffers. I think that Darno is a, is a substantial injury risk. And I think that Pena could see some good time. Um, he's definitely do a lot of regression in average. He's, he actually has very good contact skills, solid power skills as well. Um, so yeah, when you're get, when you're talking about as late as he's going, 
Uh, I, I actually do think that Pena is an underrated option. He's 522 he's going at. So uh, when it comes to William Contreras, I, I'll admit I haven't really looked into him much because, I mean, like you said, there's two guys ahead of him on his own team, not to mention the fact that I think I just saw a tweet that he was the worst defensive catcher in baseball. So I, I, I have a feeling that's probably not going to do wonders for his playing time. Worse than Sal Perez? <laughs> I, I I don't even know. I'm just going by what the tweet said. So I just I, I don't I'm not really an expert on defense. They um, give they give anybody a Twitter handle these days, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, P- Pina. Like I actually hadn't really uh, dove into Pina much, but it's really intriguing. He in 2020 and 2021 he has a barrel rate above 10 percent, which is pretty phenomenal. So it seems like something changed a little bit in the plate approach. And like Dave mentioned. He had a 162 BABIP, I think, last year. So he's due some heavy positive regression in that um, in that scenario. And the only thing I'd add on William Contreras is he. I've only done one dynasty league in my entire life, and he was my first pick back in 2000, back in 2019, I think. So that's all I'm contributing to William Contreras. <laughs> I traded him promptly. Do I don't. Do I need more context on this? Your first pick, like. In, uh... No, 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 not, not, not 1-1. My first uh, uh, minor league player. Oh, okay. Because I went like, I went heavy major <laughs> okay. leaguers. Like, sure. oh, I was wondering if it was like a 500 team draft and he told me to picking 500th or what. I... <laughs> Poor, um, I did not provide all the context. I wanted you to, I wanted you to provide something so that the listeners weren't just like, what the hell yeah. is he talking about? Who's this uh... guy? I'm going to not listen to that. <laughs> thing he said. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe stick to just cashing in NFBC leagues. Um, yeah. yeah. Leave, leave sure. I won that. I won that league. I won that league. <laughs> All right. Well, just cash in whatever you want then. Um, yeah. So Boston, we've got Christian Vasquez going at two twenty nine. Uh, stole eight bases last year. Only hit six home runs. Uh, so that's kind of a, a goofy. Uh, stat line for for a catcher uh any interest there from from either of you guys yeah i i actually think he's interesting and i i feel like and this is this is also weird because i had this thought before i even read the forecaster which agreed with me it seemed like when you looked at his numbers everything was in line i mean he, he even improved several things like his zone contact rate and his contact rate were all good he improved his k percentage best max ev of his career he's kept his fly ball rate up just the hard hit rate and the home run per fly ball, the home run per fly ball rate really dipped. And usually when I see something like that, I see it as a buying opportunity. Like in season when I was uh, monitoring uh, Jorge Soler, his, his home run per fly ball rate was super low at one point and someone dropped him and I'm like, well, this is going to normalize eventually. Like whether it happens in the next you know week or month or year, I don't know, but it's always a good idea to pick up guys when they're significantly different from their from their overall numbers without the underlying metrics being that different so i kind of am interested in vasquez because at the beginning of the season he was starting like nine out of ten games so it was really only he started losing some playing time down to like six to seven games out of ten uh once he was kind of struggling more and i think it could be some bad luck there so and he also runs a bit like he stole eight bases last year uh, I, I think there's some upside here, especially given where he goes. Um, he's he's uh, he's a guy who interests me for sure. Toby? Yeah, I have like an inherent bias against Christian Vasquez because 
Like everybody's like, oh, why draft JT Real Muto? Oh, you can draft geez. Christian <laughs> Christian Vasquez. <laughs> you know? Everybody does that, you know. Uh, so I'm like, I've never heard like, that. Like this guy sucks. Like, don't draft him. What are you talking you just, about? You just get Vasquez 200 picks later, man. You yeah, idiot. You, too, you could. Um, <laughs> uh, with Vasquez, I, I hear, um, I hear, I mean, like, I think he's fine for where he's going. Like, the stolen bases is certainly um, a contribution that he makes. I think with the home run rate, it's really hard to know who the real guy is because if you look throughout his career, his home run per fly ball rate, 2.6%, 5%, 6.8%, 3.9%. Then you have 16 and 14, and then you have 4.2. He had six home runs last year. He only had 10 barrels. His previous career high was 20 barrels, but before that, his highest previously was six. So he's a guy who makes a ton of contact, but the power numbers, I'm guessing, are probably green monster power numbers, and I'm not sure that that's a consistent skill that he owns. And so I think projecting him for to return to some of the home run numbers that he's had previously is not a good idea, but I think the projections do a pretty good job of kind of normalizing that. So like a guy who's going to hit maybe eight to 10 home runs, something like that, and steal you, you know, five to, you know, five to five or six stolen bases or something like that, which is, which is fine. You know, um, as long as, you know, as long as, you know, if your team is set up where you've got a ton of power and you're looking to get inch by inch accrue those stolen bases, then it's then it works for that build, but you know, I'd rather have like a Carson Kelly or somebody who's going a little bit later, or a Yadier Molina, honestly, like uh, Omar Narvaez who's going later on with a little bit more of a consistent profile um, than you know the profile that we're getting from Vasquez here. But again, I'm I'm very biased, so take it with a grain of salt. Did uh, did you? I, I- I think you could be right about the power. I, I think it's it's yet to, remains to be seen because we saw a different guy in 2019 and 2020 compared to his previous years, but then he kind of reverted in 2021. But again, that home run per fly ball rate is just so low. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, I will say that uh, I, I agree with maybe Carson Kelly being a better, better buy. I would not rather have Yachty or Narvaez over him though with their playing time or well with Narvaez's playing time and with Yachty's complete lack of upside and he looks like he's kind of falling apart at this point yeah I <laughs> I I took issue with some of that too but um just sticking on Vasquez uh did you get either you guys see Todd Zola's tweet about him from a couple of weeks ago mm. no he, he's second among all catchers behind JT Aramudo in plate appearances since 2019 yeah, and, and that's what I really like about him because, I mean, he had 500 last year. He had 521 in 2019. He had 190 in the short season. So And I mean, Steamer's got him for – why, do, why does Steamer have him for 351? That's what that's what yeah, I'm I curious about. So I, I think that's another one. Like, I you know, pro, I, projections – this is not the pod to get into projection talk, but, like, Please I, I have go. noticed a lot of just really out there – projections among catchers specifically in terms of playing time um from steamer so uh definitely you want to set those yourself uh you want to manually and put the playing time there um toronto we've got three guys to talk about uh alejandro kirk 239 danny jansen 306 someone that steamer loves and gabriel moreno uh one of the better prospects in all baseball let alone catching prospects going at 461 uh 
my take on this is that there's another shoe that's still going to drop here after the lockout. Like, I, I feel like they're going to make a trade, um, but they might not. And, you know, if, if they don't make a trade, it's it's tough to see any of these three getting enough playing time to be a catcher one. But do you guys see uh, any upside here with, with the three Toronto guys? I'm kind of, I'm kind of staying away from the situation generally, obviously Kirk is, you know, has phenomenal upside. If he gets those plate appearances, it's just hard to see where those plate appearances come from. Now, like you mentioned, if the other shoe drops and they do trade him, because I know he's one of the guys that people will want um, and he gets regular playing time, then I think he immediately vaults up, you know, among even maybe among the upper echelon of catchers. So if you're into risk, you know, reward propositions um, where the reward is high, but so is the risk, uh, then I think Kirk is an interesting uh, play there. I do like Danny Jansen. I've always, I've always really liked him um, just because the plate approach is normally pretty solid, like the contact skills, the plate discipline. It's actually very like Will Smith-like um, in a lot of ways, but just the quality of contact and the consistency of contact hasn't been there. Um, and then... Um, and so I, I do, I do like him and he obviously finished the season really strong and I think he's their best defensive catcher. So, um, so out of all of them, I probably like him the most, um, uh, Moreno, I do have him on my dynasty team, James, I got him on my dynasty team. Wow. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I think he's going to be, uh, probably the best player in the history of baseball would be my general <laughs> analysis on him. Hopefully better um, than William Contreras. Yeah, but I just don't, I don't see where the consistent playing time comes from for him. Like he probably isn't going to be the DH if he comes up and maybe he will be. Um, if he is catching, you know, they probably want to kind of ease him in there um, a little bit in terms of managing a rotation and a, on a playoff bound team. But you know, um, it's a little bit of a wild card. I mean, him and Kirk are certainly huge wild cards. I just feel like if they weren't willing to play Kirk at DH, why would they be willing to bring up Moreno right away and play him at DH? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, like Toby said, it's kind of a throw your hands up in the air situation. I, I don't know what to make of it. It's really, like you said, wait, like you said, James waiting for that shoot a drop, see what, uh, what deals they make here. Um, like Toby, I also like Danny Jansen a bit. Um, when the first pitch Arizona draft started back up, I actually took him with my first pick when it came back to me in round 24, he was still on the board. Um, the playing time situation is really what it's all about. Cause he was always a guy I kind of expected to hit. Um, the power is actually good and he really picked it up at the end of the season. And I saw he's really working hard th this off season, uh, on his offense with uh, a couple of other pretty good hitters from that team. So, um, the defense is great. He just needs more at bats. So, I also feel like even if there is a trade, I probably won't have any Kirk because he's that kind of guy who people are super in on that they're going to overrate. And uh, he's going to like, if he does get traded into a starting spot, he's probably going to go way earlier than I'm willing to take him. Yeah. If, if Kirk gets traded into a starting spot, it's going to be uh, a sight to behold um, seeing where he starts going. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, everyone loves the low K rate, man. I mean, that's, it's, about as sexy as it gets uh but the the big thing to me with gabriel moreno who i actually i have some interest in in dcs i haven't ended up with him because i've been kind of just waiting and waiting a little bit too long but 
Uh, he started working out at third base and there's differing reports as to how good his defense is behind the plate. Uh, but I think everyone agrees that we're talking about a pretty special hitter and they do have a pretty big hole at third base. Um, they might try to fill that hole via trade or, or whatever um, after the lockout. But uh, the idea of Moreno coming up in like June and being there, a guy who plays like four days at third base, one day at catcher, that type of thing, that's really appealing to me. Um, but that's there's a lot of ifs and buts involved with that scenario playing out. So like I said, I haven't ended up with him anywhere, but um, just keep an eye on what position Moreno's playing in spring training, because if he's getting a lot of work in at third base, I think you will see his ADP start to climb. Um, the Oakland A's, just one guy to talk about, uh, Sean Murphy. And that's interesting because he's a guy that has also had some injury issues and was playing about half the time in the second half last year, ADP at 242. Do we think they're going to add another catcher here via a trade, or do we think Sean Murphy's going to be in for a career high in plate appearances? Yeah, that's that's the question. Sorry, <laughs> uh, it, you know he came into the year last year with a collapsed lung, and uh, he he still was able to get going pretty pretty early. Um, we knew there was going to be some regression coming from 2020, but the power does look legit for the most part. Uh, he was benched for Gomes late late last season, but uh, he's gone now. Uh, and I I would expect Murphy to be healthy. And they don't really have you know they got Austin Allen there. I don't think they really have uh, a situation that would rec- that would dictate Murphy needing to share the at bats there at catcher much. Um, I think it really just comes down to him whether if he produces like we're hoping he he should be able to. I mean you know he's got a good. He's got a very good barrel rate, max EV, like the power, the power's there. The contact rate is good too. Um, you know, there will be some, hopefully some, uh, a little bit of bad progression there. Like, I don't think he's a two sixteen hitter, um, but it is kind of tough because if he does struggle, I don't know if they're just going to bench him again or stick with him. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that he's, I mean, he might be the best defensive catcher in the game and that, that aspect is encouraging in terms of the the playing time. Uh, but where, I guess, Toby, where do you sort of, what are you projecting for Murphy's batting average? That might be the bigger question here because, you know, obviously he could yeah. get hurt. He might not, you know, whatever the, the playing time, whatever happens, happens. But, um, you know, what would he have to hit for him to be a, a good value where he's going? Yeah. I mean, I think the challenge is, you know, when you look at the projections, right, 228, 227, he hit 216 last year. I think Dave's right. There's some Babbitt progression there, but he's never had a Babbitt over 278. So it's not going to be a lot. The home run per fly ball rate was a little bit low. He had 17 home runs on 32 barrels, which is a, a fairly low rate for that. But he also plays in Oakland, right, which is not going to be, is not the best place to put up really high uh, home run per fly ball rates. Um, so I think like, I think that's probably the projection. I think the challenge is, I don't know what the A's are kind of thinking because, you know, if he's really good defensively and he's doing what he's doing hitting, why would they go and add like Jan Gomes as the backup and give him more playing time? Like what, what is their general, like organizational belief level in him? Um, I guess, because as a young guy, like you'd expect, 
you know, with especially what he's been able to do just from like an underlying skills perspective that they would stick with him a little bit longer. So I'm not sure what that was necessarily all about, but again, like he's, he's a guy where it seems like the, the batting average ceiling is pretty low. And I think some of the guys that are going beyond him have a little bit more batting average, even if they may be boring and consistent, like Dave said, and you see that as a negative Dave, you know, things like Yadi Molina. Um, you can, I think like, I think that there's just the same production is available later on. And I don't necessarily see where that like next step is coming from beyond the playing time. But even with the playing time, it's like, if they haven't let him do it before and there was an opportunity for him to do that last year, why exactly not? Like at what point in time do they allow him to do that? So those would be my only like general thoughts. And for that reason, and because batting average, like, is, uh, you know, is, is important in these leagues, especially as you get later on and it becomes harder to add batting average. I'm not really interested much. So just, uh, you know, one thing that I it might be, uh, why they got Jan Gomes is, um, and I wouldn't expect Dave to know this cause we're talking about what happened when he was a prospect and everything, but, um, this might be something that interests you, Dave. Uh, Sean Murphy has really had a hard time putting together full seasons, um, you look at what he did in the minor leagues, uh, 2017 was the only time he really came close to, uh, 90 games played. Um, he's always kind of missed time with something and it's usually been something lower body related. And you look at kind of that jump in playing time that they're asking him to make from 2019 and 2020 to last year. And you kind of wonder if he just wore down, um, and they just needed to get someone to sort of supplement him a little bit. Uh, so that's, that's kind of something that concerns me a little bit is we just, we haven't really seen him uh, been able to handle the type of workload that I think that they would like him to be kind of a Yadi Molina type of guy that's in there every day. And I just wonder if physically he's just been unable to do that. Cause he is, he is a pretty big guy at six three two thirty. That's uh that's good information. So I think, uh, I think you've, you've pretty much convinced me that I'm, I'm probably going to be out on Sean Murphy this year. Yeah, just always, always trying to give you little nuggets like that on the the health side um, <laughs> that you can get into fights with people on Twitter about. It's been like two years since I have, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with it's, you. It's been way too long. We need to start this back up again. Come on, you do, man. How much do you do? You have to show a lot of restraint. I, I mean, I, I, I think I'm like I've got like 70 grade restraint when it comes to. <laughs> Um, responding to stupid tweets I see on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely made a concerted effort to just, you know, let things go. Um, it's tough. You know, it's like it's like when someone's saying something that you know is wrong and you just want to be like, no, that's that's it's not right. But it's it's an impossible battle that you're fighting against uh, Twitter trolls. So you just got to at a certain point, you just got to let it go and be like, OK, uh, you can disagree with me or whatever. I think the more annoying thing to me is when I, I try to say something just to say what I'm trying to to say without it coming off uh, the way it, it has in the past. And I just, I feel like a lot of things are just misinterpreted as, Oh, this is a victory lap or, Oh, this is him trying to, you know, talk shit or something. It's like, no, I'm just trying to inform. That's, that's all it really ever is. I, I think, uh, I know this is a little tangent, but yeah, I think like the, the people who do kind of like stirring it up a little bit and, and, uh, teaching people stuff i 
by all means, keep it up. I, I like seeing it, um, but it just, it stresses me out when I like put myself into it and then I get a bunch of replies and I'm just like, why did I let this person's stupid tweet take up a half hour of my day? But it stresses and- me out a lot. I, I don't enjoy it. I do not enjoy it at all. And a lot more mental bandwidth, right, than the half an hour because you're like thinking about yeah, it yeah, like you're that. just like, just, like uh, just get yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's not it's not good for your psyche. Um, you're you're both better at it than me, but I think I'm improving. So I, I like I said, <laughs> I haven't really had any battles in like a year and a half, two years, something like that. So I don't really plan to moving forward. Um, so let's talk about Gary Sanchez. Uh, how the mighty have fallen. Um, I was going to say, let's not <laughs> do it. Do we want to just say that we're all three of us are out on Gary Sanchez? I have zero interest in that guy. He has a two Oh one batting average over the last four seasons. Yeah, that's tough. It's rough. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and, and honestly a good case for making sure you get two good catchers is the fact that uh, at one point last year, uh, Clay Link and I were starting Kyle Higashioka at catcher uh, in the main event, which which was rough, and um, so that you don't want that to happen to you. So make <laughs> sure you make sure you get two good catchers in the draft. Um, the Rockies actually have a guy who I have two shares of already, Elias Diaz. Um, I think that you know the playing time. He's not going to be one of these Iron Men, but you know we're we're in the mid two hundreds, late two hundreds for a reason. Uh, the Rockies signing him to that extension tells me that he is a guy who is going to play uh, plenty and at least be um, the nominal starter there. And, you know, I don't think he's going to kill your batting average. Um, are either of you guys as interested as I am in Elias Diaz as a, as a second catcher? Yeah, I think he's great. Um, I think he's great uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, he's the Rockies catcher, obviously, but last year, he put up a career low BABIP, even though he was playing half his half his games in Colorado. So the batting average should go up. Um, you know, the power is decent. Like it's not it's not great, but it's decent. Um, and, but when you put that all together, and the fact that like he really took over the playing time, you know, down the stretch, and I think he will uh, next year as well. You're probably projecting him for closer to 400 plate appearances. So you're looking at a really nice batting average for a catcher very playable home runs, you know, decent number of run in RBI as well, um, playing in, in cores for half, half of his games. So I think he's great. He's been a target of mine, but he's kind of like, I don't know if he does enough to differentiate himself like 50 picks or so, cause he's starting to move up a little bit. Cause I think everybody likes him. Like, I don't know if he does enough to differentiate himself from some of the guys that we're going to talk about later for me to jump him up, but I do really like him a lot. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the same. Um, I have, I, he was a fade for me last year because I was afraid that Dom Smith would be, um, or Dom Nunez would be playing a significant role, uh, especially as the left-handed batter there. Um, and they did, they started platooning where they, they use Nunez against righties and Diaz against lefties, which was my concern. But, uh, as the season went along and, you know, D- uh, Dom Nunez, you know, started striking out the like constantly and, you know, Diaz was hitting the ball pretty well. You definitely saw Diaz take over and he ended up playing like two thirds of the games. And, uh, you know, with the DH there that could bump that up. Um, and I, I think he's probably going to have the, you know, highest, uh, plate appearances of his career. I mean, projections are only saying like 
336 from steamer 384 from atc like i think you could easily be over 400 and uh I mean, he he started um, his second half launch angle, and he had he hit more fly balls in the second half. Um, yeah, I think he's going to give you solid power with uh, a good, pretty good, solid average, and I think he's going to play way more than uh, than people think he's going to. Yeah, I mean, if you wait on catcher, that this is the kind of production you you kind of want, right? Like a guy who's not going to kill your batting average and isn't going to be a, a zero in the power department. Um, if we're if we're all out on Gary Sanchez, are we all out on Mike Zanino? Totally, totally all out. Yeah, I mean that dude when his when his home run per fly ball regresses from like the thirty that it's at to his career <laughs> average, he's going to hit one forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're I gonna mean, you're gonna start him for six weeks. He's going to kill your batting average, and then you're going to drop him. I hate guys with that contact profile. I just they're so bad and so volatile that it, I mean, yes, they can have hot streaks, but they can also have massive extended cold streaks and that can lead to getting benched or even demoted. And I just, I don't have any interest in that. Okay, Dave. So tell me why the brewers aren't going to just do a strict platoon with Narvaez and Severina. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess they could, um, I guess, I just saw last year. Who else was there? I can't remember who that was. Who was, was Pena. Manny Pena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they had a third guy too, right? Was it Nottingham or something? Uh, yeah, they there were times when they were carrying three. I think. Yeah, I well, I I could be misremembering here, but I don't think it was a strict platoon. I think they kind of played closer to like I think Narvaez played like sixty percent of the games. Um, and I I mean I don't know. I feel like is Pedro Severino worse than Manny Pena like do we expect them to change where it's just going to be a straight platoon now and Narvaez is going to play versus all righties or I don't know I just I guess I'm not seeing uh the the upside there with Narvaez well you know I mean he he got up to you know he's been up over 440 played appearances in the last two full seasons um and I think I don't know if you like I think he's his home run his home runs uh, are going to bounce back uh, this year just at least a little bit. I mean I, I don't think of him as like an eleven homer guy. Uh, so I actually I like like I actually double tapped uh, Elias and uh, and Narvaez as my catcher one and catcher two in my first draft of the year, um, just because I kind of think they're they're kind of similar and that they're going to hit around two fifty. And they're gonna hit, you know, fifteen homers, something like that. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, like if if you're you're out or you're not liking Narvaez for the playing time here. I guess I mean, like, is there a catcher that's going after him that you that you like more? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, like uh, Diaz is going after him at least. Uh, oh, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, is Carson Kelly's going after him, right? Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, Kelly is. Yeah, I think I, I think I'd prefer prefer Kelly there and or, or I just take Diaz slightly before him uh I don't think like Narvaez is bad I just I don't think the same upside for playing time is there as is with the other two guys there what do you think Toby yeah I mean I think I think you'll probably get similar to what he got previously in plate appearances I think a strict platoon is probably right I mean I do like Pedro Severino a lot I think he has showed himself to be a decent enough hitter um, with the Orioles, 
So I do like that aspect of it, but I know Narvaez has made huge strides from in the catching department, at least in the framing department over the last couple of years with the Brewers. So I think you stick with him. I think Narvaez is nice because the batting average is pretty solid. Um, I'm not a hu- I'm not a huge believer in the home runs, but I do think like with that number of plate appearances in that lineup, in that context, like the NL Central, I don't think we'll have very good pitching generally. Um, I think that I think that he, you know, I think that he's 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 really solid there. Um, especially if you need like a plus batting average guy, he's one of the last ones you can really, if not the last one that you can be like, ah, I'll probably hit 260, 270, something like that. And Toby, it sounds like you're, uh, I mean, you've mentioned Yadier Molina, I think a couple times already. Is is that a, is well, that kind I of just, your... I, I just want to say that Dave mentioned him first and it was in a very critical light. Wow. Uh, I mean, I can't, I cannot believe like after all Yadier Molina, Molina's done, Dave, you're going to fantasy owners that Dave would just call him, him like consistent and boring as your catcher too. my goodness. You're uh, going to no. cast me all my Cardinal fan listeners. Oh God. I, Dave, right. You're not even like thinking about this strategically <laughs> from like a marketing standpoint. No, I love, I love Yadi Molina because I mean, the dude just, he does the exact same thing every single year, right? Like, he has a good batting average. His lowest batting average in the last, I guess for his entire career was last year at 252, <laughs> right? Uh, he has 11 home runs, uh, 10 home runs, 20, 18 in the last four seasons. Like he doesn't strike out a lot. He doesn't walk a lot. He somehow manages to steal bases like at, at a reg- fairly regular clip for a, a catcher at least. Um, and then he's going to be, he's going to bat like in a decent spot in that Cardinals lineup as well. So for me, like Molina is the perfect like fallback catcher too, where you essentially just insert him into your lineup and you don't move him, you know, the rest of the season and you get like decent enough contributions from him. And he's going at what, pick 280 something, you know? I mean, give the guy a little respect. (laughs) Put some respect on his name, Dave. (laughs) Of all the guys that throw under the bus. Wow, uh, I, I don't even know what I said, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't all <laughs> negative. Uh, I actually took him as my uh, catcher one in the first pitch Arizona draft, so it's not like I hate the guy. Uh, I've always said he was underrated because he they keep him in the lineup as much as possible. Um, I just feel like this, be, and I think that he said that this is his last year, right? Was that said? Yeah. I, I just I don't know. I it feels like he could be breaking down. I don't. It might not be coincidental that his, that his average has been on a, a decline for the last couple of years. Um, I I think he's a fine pick. I just uh, I don't. I just think that there's other guys around him going a little bit earlier uh, that I would prefer to take. But he, you know, if if you're still without a catcher at that point, um, you know, I I do think that I probably think that Jansen's going to be better than him this year. But he definitely has more. Um, his playing time is more secure. So I, I would understand that. I'm just kidding, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I do think it's funny that you're like citing how consistent he is, but he's also like 39 and coming off career worsts in pretty much every category. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, guys, guys, <laughs> the projection has him 430 plate appearances, 253, 11 home runs, 43 runs, 46 RBI, two stolen bases. Would you take that from your catcher too? 
Well, I guess if the projections have it, it's already happened, right? I mean, that's yeah. it has. Plug it in. For sure. <laughs> I mean, but look at the um I mean, the scales are relatively the same, right? Like his contact was down by 0.6%. His O swing was exactly the same. His hard hit rate was actually up. Zone contact was down a good amount. Yeah. And but that but contact rate overall correlates better with strikeout rate. His barrel rate was the highest since 2018. That's true. He had 19 barrels and only and only 11 home runs. So I mean, again, Swing strike rate is way up the last two. two I, I, I just fe- I just felt a need to defend his honor. <laughs> his honor all right, uh, that's fair. Um, but I agree, there are some guys like Danny Jansen going later and stuff like that who are <laughs> a little bit more intriguing. Yeah, that's that's all I'm saying. Uh, I don't think he's a bad pick at all. Okay, so we've got about ten teams left. Every catcher on these teams has an ADP outside the top three hundred. Um, I want to give each of you a chance to just talk about one guy that we haven't talked about on one of these teams who, um, if you had to have them as your catcher two, you'd be okay with it. Or if they're a guy that you could see targeting as your catcher three and let's start with, uh, let's start with Dave. Course, as I'm still looking. All right, let's see. <laughs> well, or, or Toby, if you're ready, you can go. Oh man, um, I'm putting I'll you just, guys on the spot. I'm I'll just say, ready. really, uh, it's hard to choose just one. I mean, I think Jacob Stallings is just like, I guess he's like Yachty Light. Like he's just, he's not going to do anything special. He's not going to be remarkable, uh, but he's fine. I mean, there's other guy like, you know, Max Stassi is a guy who who. Um, are, Max Stassi is nice. I think people think Joey Bart's going to get in there right away. I think Kirk Casale is going to get more playing time. I do too. Um, and so <laughs> Kirk Casale as a catcher three, like way back down in the DCs is a guy that I would, I would be after. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think Joey Bart's getting very overdrafted right now. I will. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, agree with the guys you picked and, you know, Stallings, his defense being so good. I think they're going to look for reasons to keep him in that lineup. Um, I, I think the guy that interests me, even though I'm not like in love with his skills, is James McCann because his best attributes is playing time. Like he was playing close to every day last year when he was healthy. Um, I don't expect him to DH much, but uh, I do think because of his playing time, he might be uh, a little undervalued for where he's going. And yeah, Max Stasi, like the 11% barrel rate in 2020, 2021. Uh, is pretty rare for catchers, especially going this late. Um, and he could see an uptick in at bats with uh, with Suzuki leaving if they don't bring another solid backstop there. So I like I like that call as well. Yeah, I mean Stasi, that the depth chart is just wide open for him. Um, but I do wonder if maybe they're gonna grab a guy. Like I, I definitely think the Mets are gonna go into the air with McCann and Nido as the two catchers. I mean they're they're paying McCann to be basically an, an everyday catcher. Um, remember, Nido, remember, Nido when they, so bad. remember when they signed McCann and everybody's like, Oh, I'm glad they signed McCann instead of Real Muto. And they saved a little bit of money. Do you guys remember when that <laughs> happened? Well, nobody's ever picked a better time to have uh, uh, the best like oh, 50 yeah. game stretch of their career than James. McCann. <laughs> yeah. Probably not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, yeah, I will. I'll add that this, what the Padres have going on is is kind of weird, uh, where they've got 
They're the only team, I think, with four catchers going inside the top uh, 600. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, I I don't think Camposano is a good enough defender to to just really catch it all in the majors right now. Um, Maybe they're just kind of done with Caratini and they're, but I I don't know. Maybe they're going to play Alfaro a little bit in the outfield, which would be pretty pathetic. But was uh, was Caratini like Darvish's personal catcher? Is that what it was? (sighs) That. That might be right. I think so. I feel, like, I feel like he was. So I don't know if they're just going to keep him around because I, I, I guess if he has a good rapport with him or I, I don't know. Alfaro is super interesting to me because he could potentially play outfield. And if you look at the San Diego's outfield depth, it's pretty, it's pretty putrid right now. I mean, they, they'll probably sign somebody I'm assuming, but yeah. Um, him getting like a couple games in the outfield and a couple games at catcher, you know, every single week, like if he plays four game games a day, I mean the power is there. He got super unlucky last year with the home run per fly ball rate compared to what he traditionally does, and compared to his barrels. I think he had like sixteen barrels and four home runs. Um, and the dude steals too now. Like he steals bases. So I mean, I think you could get like a ten and ten season if he played four and you know four game three four games a week maybe. Um, I mean, get back to me when his K, K rate is under thirty percent. I just. Dude, the dude runs the highest Babbitts in baseball on a consistent basis. <laughs> so the K, no, seriously, like the K rate yeah, isn't super relevant for him. He's never he's had one season with like a relatively low batting average. Yeah. No, you're 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 right. Um, especially like 2018, 2019, he was hitting 260. Last two seasons, 226, 244. But um I, I yeah, I don't he's know. Kinda, I, he's kind of a unicorn. He's not going super. I mean, a 389 is not like high, but it's not as late as I would think he would be so that that's that's the one thing that i don't love there i i just have no idea what they're doing so i i stayed away from cronenworth last year because i didn't know what the playing time situation was going to be so i very much could be out on this and he could end up with a good amount of time that i'm not seeing this this padres uh lineup is sneakily pretty terrible um (laughs) especially considering they were like a like one of the top bets before last season to win the world series um you mentioned top heavy for the white Sox. i mean that lineup (laughs) right and it's remarkable too because they had how many prospects they had so many prospects and none of them have really come through outside of cronenworth i mean they traded they traded a bunch away you know a bunch of them busted and um they they i wouldn't even say their lineup's top heavy it's it's middle heavy they've got they've got like wherever Tatis and Machado are batting. And then there's a pretty big drop off from there. Um, yikes. yikes though. I, I didn't realize it was this bad that roster resource has no more Mazzara on the strong <laughs> yeah. side of a platoon. Yikes. I mean, uh, Bill James once said he, he's MVP material. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I was as high as anyone on the prospect of no that guy Mazzara. who knew he plateaued in his rookie season. I mean, that was just, so, that was so strange. He was 20, right? Something like that. He made the opening day roster as a 21 year old. And okay. uh, that was his, yeah. I mean, that was probably his best year. I've, I've heard some stuff about uh, his uh, work ethic. That's, that's uh, a little, little troubling. Um, it explains, mm-hmm. explains a lot, but okay. um, yeah, I think uh, this, this should do it. I think two hours worth of, catcher talk is, is plenty for the, the people <laughs> out there. um i think what i what i've learned um is that i think i 
I can't be as sort of uh, apathetic early in these drafts and sort of like, well, if a guy falls to me, he falls to me. Um, because that, that hasn't happened yet with the guys that I like the most. And so, um, yeah, I mean, with with the top three specifically, and then maybe even Varsha, like I, I think I could see myself getting a little bit of Varsha here in draft season. But um, you can't really be waiting around and just hoping for them to be there at ADP necessarily because that, that may not happen. Um, really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, why don't you guys let everyone know where they can follow you and uh, what you might have going on. Uh, I'll start with you, Toby. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. That's the best place um, to get uh, to connect with me. I do a podcast every week um, with my co-host, uh, Bubba, with, uh, from Bench with Bubba, uh, called the Batflip Crazy Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It comes out on uh, late Tuesday, early Wednesday. And we have a lot of fun there. So if you want to listen to that, please do. Um, it would be great. Very good podcast, by the way. Um, I you can also find me at Run D McD. Make sure you add that D, and uh, you can find me on. Uh, I have two podcasts: one on Monday nights with Justin Mason, uh, friends with fantasy benefits, and then one on Thursday nights with Jake Halsker, my my uh, close friend, and uh, that is on Thursdays. And uh, I was on with uh, Michael Simeone, the SP streamer, yesterday, uh, and then. Uh, oh, we've got Derek Butcher coming on the, the the pod tonight for high stakes heat. So if you uh, if you want to hear more about Derek and hear some uh, some cool stories from our time in Vegas together, uh, I mean I know James, I know you uh, you you're a regular listener, but uh, this will this will be a little detraction from the normal strategy talk, which is usually what we do uh, a lot of strategy roster construction stuff. Um, this will be kind of more of a, a fun one, but. Um, and then, uh, I got a couple more pods next week. I got tool shed with Eric Cross, Chris Clegg and Justin Mason on Saturday, uh, or Sunday. And then Monday with, uh, Kev, I'm going to the operating table. Uh, and then also, uh, Toby, I think you're at PitchCon as well, right? Yeah. 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 So I'll be there. And James, are you there? I, I, I could, I didn't read all of it, but I, I am, I, okay. but I, I didn't I double check to make sure you guys were there either. So um, <laughs> That's I, all I just, I basically assume everyone's there and. Well, this is my first time, so I'm looking forward to it. It'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm I'm doing a panel with uh, Justin and Colin on uh, Saturday at 4 p.m. And I think uh, I saw Toby. I think was that morning doing like a, an NFBC panel. Uh, fr- I think I'm Friday morning doing a morning. starting starting pitchers in the second round with Nando Defino and Chris Welsh, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't and, remember when I'm doing it, but it's uh, something prospect related yeah. with. Uh, <laughs> Chris Clegg and Shelly Burstreet, I believe, but um, nice. Sure. You, you'll all be able to figure out where that stuff's going on. Uh, yeah. Follow picture list, Nick Pollock. Um, but yeah, really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, looks like Dave's going to have a five hour podcast day. With, oh boy. Uh, high stakes heat coming up <laughs> later. Um, and uh, good luck with the drafts that you guys are in. I know, I know Toby's got a couple uh, in the hopper right now. And let's pray uh, we see each other in Vegas this year. Let's hope it happens. I, I, it'll kill me if this is another, uh, remote draft year. Uh, I, I doubt that'll be the case. Um, but yeah, that I, I kind of want to do, I kind of want to be in a draft with, with both you guys. Um, but Ooh. we'll, we'll see how it plays out. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. <laughs> that would be bat flip crazy. <laughs> it would be. 
This has been the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'll be back next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.